Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Sia pushes it. Woodson is there. Reverse. Good. Oh, Cotton Fitzsimmons is angry. Here's Webb now feeding Walt Williams straight away. Walt takes the dribble to the left angle. Clocks at nine to Richmond. Doubled back out to Williams. He fires for three. He's got the bucket. Hello, Wizard. Long lead to Weber. Behind the back. Power rip with the right hand. Weber in stride. Took the ball behind his back with one dribble and went right on up in the same motion and just thundered down a vicious jam. Weber with a rebound. Kings break out. They've got four on three. Right wing feed. Christie touch pass. Page behind the back to Weber. Power jam with the right hand. There's the play of the year. Page with a couple of fakes. Dumps it into Bibby. Bibby with a desperation deep three. He's got it off glass. A miracle at Sacramento's Arco Arena. And pandemonium results. Mike Bibby with a deep, deep three-pointer on the left wing. He was well over 30 feet out. He was off balance. He threw it high into the lights. And it kissed the window. And it fell in. Ball game. Sacramento wins. And a crowd goes absolutely bonkers. It's 85-82. So can the Kings do it two games in a row? They pulled one out of their hat against Memphis at the buzzer on Tuesday night. Now with 4.9 seconds to go, it's going to be Catino Mobley on the near side, front court to our right, who will put the ball in play for Sacramento. Mobley now feeds it out to Bibby. Bibby at the top of the circle. Williamson sets the pick. Bibby to his right. Two seconds to go. Shots on the way. He's done it again. I tell you, Mike Bibby. Big game Bibby has done it again with four tenths of a second to go. Desperation heave. Clippers no good. And Mike Bibby is absolutely mobbed across the way. As Mike Bibby now skips his way to the tunnel to our left. And Arco fans are left dancing in the aisles and in their seats for the second consecutive game. Unbelievable. He rattles it down. It is good. He's one point away. 99-98. He can tie the score, and he can also grab a piece of history. And look at the Kings fans on their feet. Kevin Martin checking in. Chase Budinger checks out. So, a chance for the ovation to continue to build. And now Kevin Martin comes over and slyly says something in the ear of the rookie. Number 13 at the line. Will this free throw be the one? Crowd comes. Here's the release. And there's a bit of history. Move over, Big O. Move over, LeBron. Move over, MJ. You've got company. There's a kid named Evans from Sacramento who's going to average 20. Five and five. 
Well, how about that to start our Friday podcast here on Locked on Kings? We needed a feel-good, didn't we, after the way it's gone for the Sacramento Kings as of late? And that was the great G-Man on uh, some of his great highlight calls over the years, and that's going to be a big part of our podcast today. I'm going to catch up with the G-Man because on Sunday, the next game for the Kings, when they take on the Utah Jazz, it'll be his 2500th broadcast. So a landmark milestone for him. We're going to talk to the G-Man in a minute, and you're going to hear some more great calls from the man, Gary Gerald, coming up in a few moments. But it is Friday. It's the end of the week, and I always encourage you to send me questions, whether it's on Twitter at JasonRoss1140 or longer version form on my email, jason.ross at cbsradio.com. So let's hit that Friday mailbag. A couple of questions here. First, from Steve, a regular, as we always mention, Steve. He's checking in on Twitter. He says he's already looking at second-tier free agents and wants to get my thoughts on Otto Porter from the Washington Wizards, basically saying not sure they're going to be able to afford him. Yeah, they got a lot of money invested in that backcourt, which is a very good backcourt. And this postseason that they get to will be probably a big part of the way they will handle their next contracts because Otto Porter is a starter. He's a very versatile player, and I do like him. He's still young. He hasn't hit the prime of his career. He's gotten much better offensively. He's very versatile, though. He can do a lot of different things, shoots the three, defends well, plays a lot of different positions. Um, I I would be very interested if I were the Sacramento Kings and a guy like Otto Porter. Price point is always interesting to me. I think the Kings to land free agents like Otto Porter – they're going to have to pay. He's going to get paid. He's going to get a lot of money. Just look at last summer. This summer will be the same. And so I'm almost going to predict this, Steve. Whoever the Kings sign in the offseason, we will think they're paying them too much. I don't know that we're going to get into a spot and go, wow, the Kings did a, a good job of not paying guys that much. If they're going to get a higher level free agent. And if they're going lower, like I think they did this last offseason, I, I don't think they really have a terrible contract on their roster, which is credit to Vlade, but... Uh, they got to get some more talent, and Otto Porter would be part of that. So it's all going to be dependent on uh, a few of the next moves, obviously where they land in the draft and if there's any trades before the free agency period comes in. All right, next on uh, Twitter, also hit me up. Uh, good comments, too, and good feedback from David. David's asking, uh, with Scal getting the call in the most recent game, should we now expect Buddy Heald to be starting soon? The starting lineup needs to be healed. Um I don't know the answer to this, and I hopefully I try to answer it on Thursday's podcast with almost the direction of where the team is going. I think the best chance for them to compete and be functional and at the highest level right now is to play the guys that have been around the most amount of time. But you make a trade like that to see Buddy healed, you naturally should play him. And I think there's some charm in playing Buddy more, uh, playing Scal more, maybe even further down the line looking at uh, Papi Giannis and Langston Galloway. But I think that message is maybe still a couple weeks away. If you if they start to continue to go backwards like they have and get further and further out of the race, I think that's what they need to do and look at all of the young guys and just play them exclusively. But they're not there yet. Not quite there, but a starting buddy wouldn't be a problem. The other guy I still wish was healthy was Malachi because I think he'd be getting some valuable opportunities. And uh, David also follows up with another one. Offense looked like it had more sets. This is after the game against the Nets. With a break between tonight and Sunday, should we expect more? I would say most definitely. This team is going to have a couple of practices. There's a lot of value in that. This team will not have many more practices the rest of the year. This group hasn't practiced much together. And I think we will see a team that has a little bit better idea of what Coach Yeager wants to play, play what sets they want to look at, what guys they want to play together. But that's also an evolving process. I think it was still going on with the roster that was here from day one. So I think we'll still see that the final 21 games, a lot of juggling 
of lineups, but look for a little bit more cohesion from the offense. But it may not look as better results because the Utah Jazz, one of the toughest teams to score on in the NBA. You want to get to great games? You can do it with SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to find tickets to the game that you want to see up close and in person. Always the best thing to do it is to be there. So there's nothing like being at these games and seeing the biggest and best plays, best moments of the year. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get guaranteed seats for the value that you want. The SeatGeek app is the easiest way to shop for tickets as you can literally be anywhere and a few taps and the tickets that you want that you desire right there for you. With SeatGeek, you get the best deals because they've compared the prices for you already. They grade every ticket so you'll find the best deals that will fit inside your budget. Plus, Every ticket that you buy is 100% guaranteed, so you'll shop with confidence when you're going to the game. And the best of all, for all of you diehards, and I do thank you for all your support, you listeners will get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So to get that rebate, here's what you do. Download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter L-O-Kings, L-O-Kings. SeatGeek will send you $20 off or $20 after you made that first ticket request. Again, download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOKINGS. Well, as we mentioned, Sunday's going to be a pretty special day at Golden One Center. Obviously, a fun atmosphere out there. We expect Kings and Utah Jazz. I like that it's a day game element. But something else you need to watch for and pay attention to and acknowledge is the great G-man, Gary Gerald, will be broadcasting his 2,500th game. That just sounds amazing right there, G-man, as he joins us here on Locked on Kings. That's an amazing accomplishment. I know Sunday will be pretty special for you. Well, it is, Jason, and I, I selfishly say it, uh, it it does mean a lot to me. I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I've had the longevity with the Kings organization and the longevity in the league, and not many guys have had that kind of an opportunity. And so it is special and uh, probably doesn't mean a heck of a lot to anybody other than my family, but uh, it's, it is pretty cool in my mind. Now, I, I've seen the way people approach you, come up to you, because, G-Man, you know it. There have been countless players, coaches, GMs, ownership, arenas, but you've been there for all of it. And I think, and, and I've seen all ages come up to you. And that, that's got to feel, I mean, you are a fabric of this team. That, that element right there seems pretty special. But what is it like to, to hear from fans young and old that have said, gee, man, I either grew up with you or I've been listening to you for years <laughs> or I've just been a longtime fan? That, that's got to feel really good. Well, it's very gratifying, Jason. There's no question about that. And uh, you, you appreciate the, the fact that they feel comfortable in coming up and making that kind of a statement. And, and as you said, it, it spans all different types of age groups. And as you get older, uh, perhaps there are a lot of things that you take for granted in some of the early years. And then suddenly, as you get older, you get a little more philosophical about these things. And when a young person comes up and, and tells you that, you know, my dad introduced me to NBA basketball and it was through radio and it was through your calls or one thing or another that I became a fan of the game. Uh, that that really does say a lot. And I I appreciate the fact that uh, there's an allegiance, there's a loyalty, whatever you want to call it, among these fans. We all know how passionate Sacramento Kings fans are. And when I look back over 32 years and you look at the fact that, what, 16, 17 of those years, the Kings didn't win 30 games in a season. And you say that makes that loyalty, that allegiance all the more amazing. Yeah. How, how have you, and everybody does broadcasting differently. There's no rule book that says this is exactly how you do it. How have you 
balance that where there are some cities, I think Chicago specifically, that are just outright homers, and then there's others that are uh, choose a different path. How, how did you establish how you were going to be a broadcaster for this team, at least your style on being critical at times, being you know appreciative at times, just kind of the way you've done it's been been well received. But how did you come about that? Well, I think it just it was probably more of a natural evolution, more than anything that I specifically laid out in my mind. I do think back to early years in my broadcast career and the fact that I had a base not only in sports but in hard news for for a few years. And so journalistically, I think there's there's a sense that. You need to be fair on both sides. Obviously, and, and I've said this numerous times over the years, as we travel with the team, as you get to know these players on a personal basis, members of the coaching staff, it's like a family. And obviously, you want your family to succeed. But by the same token, I think that as any broadcaster, you have a responsibility and I firmly believe that you can't sugarcoat it. When your team is stinking the joint up, you, you've got to say that. But by the same token, you try to find some area that may have been a positive or a, you know, a ray of light on that particular night. And Lord knows we've had a lot of experience <laughs> in, in that sense with the Kings over the years. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, you brought up your, your news background, and I even know uh, what Mr. G stacks, stack in the wax. I'm back to the radio <laughs> DJ background. I can't even imagine at that time you could have in your mind thought, I'm going to be broadcasting the NBA for 30 plus years. Could, is that, was that always no. a goal or just it just kind of came about? I know the story is great how the job came about. What was broadcasting NBA basketball a personal goal of yours? No, it certainly wasn't. It wasn't even on the horizon. I just know that I, I loved basketball. I loved doing play-by-play of virtually anything. And I think I may have relayed the story one other time to you, but my wife has accused me on a couple of different occasions. She fell one time at an auto show where I was doing media relations out at Cal Expo. And I immediately, according to her, says, well, you appear to have a contusion on the right side of your forehead and you've got some slight bleeding from the <laughs> left nostril. And one thing she says, you were going into full play by play mode while I'm hurting. You know, it's not like help me up, help me get some aid here. You're, you're doing play by play on my injury. And I, I laugh at that now. And I guess it's just that's something that seems to be in my blood. I remember back in the news days, and I think I may have told this story before too, Jason, but up in Chico, uh, there was one time a a rodeo bull escaped from the fairgrounds and was out on Highway 99 and was literally impacting the traffic flow. And people were trying to drive around this animal as law enforcement officers were trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do and how are we going to avoid anybody getting hurt. And I'm doing kind of a play-by-play sequence on these types of things. So I guess that's something that from a very young age, I grew up uh, as an only child. My father died when I was very young. My mom was hospitalized much of my youth with various illnesses. I lived in long stretches on my own and with neighbors and with our, our minister of our church and their family and different things. But the radio station was my sanctuary from the time I was about 13, 14 years old. And I spent literally every night of my life at that radio station. And you just absorb things, small town radio. And one of the things that uh, really fascinated me because I love sports and I got an opportunity at a very young age to be involved in in doing some, you know, high school play by play and things like that. And it began to evolve from that, but never 
in my wildest dreams that I think about, you know, calling NBA action or calling any professional sport. And it came along rather late in my life that I got the opportunity when the Kings came to Sacramento. And, and I've been very fortunate that that opportunity was there and it kind of fell into my lap and, and, uh, I just have savored each and every one of these seasons, even though there's been a lot of frustration in terms of win-loss success or lack thereof over the years. So you've done radio for years for the Kings. You had a stint where you did television as well. You've done motor sports. I know you've done college football on the network level, NFL football. Is there anything that you haven't done or wish that you had a chance to broadcast? I can't say that there is. Um, the sports that I've really that I have not been involved in as a broadcaster, I dabbled a little bit with baseball. Uh, I haven't done hockey. I haven't done soccer. Uh, most everything else, somewhere along the line, I have I've touched base at least and and had a bit of experience. Uh, hockey fascinates me. In fact, I, tonight watching the Sharks are playing Vancouver. I listened to Randy Hahn and 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 just marvel because I know the vantage point where hockey broadcasters work from. And you talk about the top of these arenas and looking down and how do you identify people and, and do it so quickly. I'm just, I'm just fascinated by that. But that being said, I don't think I would ever want the challenge of trying to be a hockey broadcaster as much as I still enjoy the sport. What would you say, uh, you know, I'm sure you get approached by people that say, hey, G-Man, because of listening to you, or it's been a dream of mine to be a broadcaster. It, it's even different now than I know than when you were first beginning. But what would you tell someone that wants to be a broadcaster the path they should they should take? Well, I, first of all, I usually say there are no hard, fast rules. You may have the greatest skill set in terms of announcing that the world has ever known, but if you don't get a chance to showcase it, it doesn't do any good. And there are no rules about how you get those opportunities. Uh, I, I encourage young people to try to, you know, follow college curriculum. If they have a broadcasting department, by all means, get involved. If you can get internships at a local television or radio station, that's a great way to get good hands-on practical experience to get an idea of what the real broadcast life is like. Uh, and again, uh, j just the fact that you know, there's no set formula. You can go prepare and prepare and prepare, and you just may not never get the may never get the opportunity. Particularly as uh, competitive as the business has become over the last oh, three or four decades. Back when I was a youngster and coming through high school and into college, there were only Jason a handful of universities in the entire nation that had broadcast programs, and now. Everybody does. High schools have mm. broadcast programs, and it's just there are amazing opportunities, but there's also amazing competition. And that's why it's it's really difficult, I think, for young people to find their way. I'm old school in a lot of respects. I really believe in that business of paying your dues, working maybe in a small market, honing your skills, sharpening your skills. Maybe it takes a year. Maybe it takes two years. Maybe it takes longer and you don't make a heck of a lot of money doing that. I mean, we all know that. But there, I, I cringe sometimes because I see young people and I applaud their bravado, but they want to start at the network level. And it just, it rarely ever happens that way. So pay your dues, go out there wherever you can and, and take advantage of any and all opportunities and then market the heck out of yourself and do some networking and hope that, you know, one door opens another. 
You know, uh, knowing you for 20 plus years, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone prepare quite like you, G-Man. I'm curious, have you gone to a start of a broadcast and felt like you weren't prepared? I can't imagine it, but has that ever happened to you? It's rare, uh, but there have been times where I've, I've had a sense of panic because I didn't have the degree of preparation that I, that I expected myself to have for that particular broadcast. I don't know that it's happened very often in, in basketball. There have been a, a handful of times in other sports where you're, you're cramming before an event and you're trying to get you know, locked in and, and you, tr- you want your audience to believe that it's like you've been there from day one. And I remember in the years that I worked in NFL football, what an amazing challenge that was. The fact that, you know, you'd find out your broadcast assignment on a Monday, usually a Monday around noon, and you knew that you were going to be traveling on Friday. And in between, you had to immerse yourself and find all of the information available and at that time, you didn't have the vast Internet sources and computer sources sure. that young people have now. And trying to get, you know, things FedExed to you from teams and you're looking at depth charts and you're looking at newspaper clippings and you're looking at statements from coaches and interviews with players and trying to so that when you went into Cleveland, Ohio, to do the Cleveland Browns or if you went into Buffalo to do the Bills or wherever it was, anybody who happened to be watching that particular broadcast would think, Man, this guy's really on top of it. He he's in tune with what's going on with our team. That's a huge challenge. Those were really intense weeks, and I learned so much in terms of preparation leading to those events. And Jason, I've told you multiple times, and you know, <laughs> I'm not one who has that mind where I can have the instant recall. Some broadcasters, and I think of you know yourself. I think of Grant Napier you know, on our flagship station and, and, and Doug Christie and others folks that are just able to come up with things off the top of their head. Just amazing. I have to have things kind of in, you know, at fingertip information. And so the charts that I use and the way I've drawn them up and stuff over the years, it requires a good deal of preparation, but that's, that's just me. I want to have, I want to have certain stats and certain pieces of information, you know, at my fingertips, I can't recall them. But I do recall that, okay, I had a note about that. Now let me just find that note and relay that information in some way, weave it into a broadcast where it makes sense and relates to the topic at hand. You talked about the challenge of doing that on the network level. What, what's the challenge or what has been the most challenging time or season or period that you can recall in your 32 years with the Sacramento Kings as you approach broadcast 2500? Is there a time that you thought, boy, this has been a not necessarily on the game, but a challenge, I don't know, professionally for you with the Kings? I think the biggest challenge, because the Kings, I, I was blessed to have the opportunity. They gave me freedom so that I could miss a handful of games every season because of network commitments and trying to juggle travel schedules, trying to be really up to speed for every Kings broadcast and then every travel assignment, if it was for NBC, if it was for ABC, if it was for ESPN, to be on top of, of the scene and, you know, trying to get your homework done while around the travel schedule, trying to handle your home responsibilities, your family responsibilities and things like that. Uh, you condition yourself, I think, and find shortcuts of ways to try to prevent as much stress as possible 
but there's there's still in that learning experience of trying to juggle those things there is still a lot of stress involved and i i think those were the the things when i look back and you you find that that conflict that you were just trying to maybe bite off a little bit too much but again it was you know the amazing experiences that i've had not only doing basketball but then you know, various events, international events. And I remember, uh, you know, in the playoffs, different times, going back and forth, flying red eyes, one thing or another, from Indianapolis, getting ready for the 500, uh, to come back and do playoff games. I remember at one time doing a playoff game in Sacramento, getting on an airplane at midnight that night and headed to Rio de Janeiro. And I was in Rio de Janeiro for, what, 36 hours or something to do a race. And when I got there, I'm dog-tired, but lo and behold, I turn on the TV in my hotel room, and there are the Sacramento Kings playing, I think it was the Utah Jazz or something like that, in a playoff game. And I had to stay up and see you know, how that worked out, even though the language was Portuguese and I couldn't understand anything, but I could see you know, and knew the characters, what was going on. So those were some interesting times, uh, to, to say the least. Now, with the having pulled away from the motorsports and the racing a year ago and and slowed things down. Now, you know, basketball is, it gets my full attention. I don't miss games now. And I'm sure that's much to, to your chagrin because you were such a great <laughs> pinch hitter. When I'm on the road, you were calling those games and doing such a, such a great job. And I, I, Jason, I've said this before, and I, I want to say it again here to those who are locked in on the Kings, what you do on a daily basis, including this particular podcast that you do five days a week, the stuff that you do really, and you make it so smooth and so easy, and I marvel at your skills, and I just appreciate it so very much. Well, thank you. Very, very nice of you to say, Jimmy, and thank you. And it's uh, honestly been a, a true uh, honor to work with you. And I, I'm thinking I haven't been there for all 2,500 games, but I've been there for a lot. And <laughs> I, I don't know that, you know, I know for me, they all, a lot of them blend together, but are there moments that that you will always take with you, good, bad, ugly, that, that kind of stick out to you over this amazing journey that you've been on with this franchise. Yeah, you, you kind of, you have to almost compartmentalize some of, you know, maybe by eras or decades or different groups of players. And, and you start with the first year of the Kings in Sacramento and the amazing response of the fans who just, you know, they just wanted to lap up anything and everything that related to the Kings and how the players were treated by absolute royalty in those first years in Sacramento and all the sellouts. Uh, a lot of people forget that the very first year, the Kings had a big comeback in the second half of the season, got themselves into the playoffs. It was a first round and out because you played only at that time, two or three in the first round. Uh, was it three or five? It was three or five, I think. But we had Houston, and Houston swept the Kings in their very first year in Sacramento, and they did get into the playoffs. Of course, the the year when the Kings next got into the playoffs in the mid-'90s against Seattle, um, they get a road win up in Seattle. Series is even coming back to Sacramento, and the crowd, unlike anything I've ever experienced, and we've seen amazing crowds and crowd response. I happened to be to doing television that year, with Jerry Reynolds and I remember standing right next to him on the floor and the Kings came out on the floor and for a sustained 20 to 22 minutes, you could not hear anything. And I mean, I'm not talking about one or two minutes. I'm talking about 20 to 22 minutes and we're side by side, practically shouting at each other to be heard over this amazing din. People were so excited. 
Unfortunately, Mitch Richmond gets hurt in that game. You remember things like that. You remember big blowout victories. We had two back-to-back games where we beat, I think it was Philly, maybe Dallas, I'm not sure, but we had back-to-back wins in the holiday season of 58 and 56 points. Think about that. Back-to-back blowout wins by the Kings winning by that margin at a time when they weren't really that good. So you remember those types of things. And you remember the All-Stars. I mentioned Mitch Richmond and, of course, Chris Weber and Vladi and Peja and Brad Miller and more recently, of course, DeMarcus Cousins, the guys who got All-Star recognition for our franchise. And, and, you know, the great years a decade ago when the Kings on the cover of Sports Illustrated and the type of ball that they played and the fact that when they have five years where they won 50 or more games and a couple of years where they won 60, 61 and won the Pacific division championship. Those were marvelous, marvelous times. And, and I think Jason about all those years when I frequently would say to other broadcasters for other organizations, you don't know how much I envy you because your team, every night you go into any arena in the league, you know, you've got a legitimate chance to win. I long for nights like that. Well, then we finally got that in the in that decade of success under Rick Adelman. And, and that's what you hope that somehow, you know, David Yeager and his staff can get the foundation built. Vladi Divac, Vivek Ranadive, the people who work behind the scenes trying to bring the talent in, put it all together, that we can take that kind of a step again and not have to, you know, go through the last, what, 10 or 11 years where we've struggled so much. And I'm just blathering on like no, an idiot. <laughs> not at all. I, I'm I'm just thinking we're going to play some uh, some of the classic highlights here on the podcast in a minute. But I wanted to. I, I'm curious if if you when people approach you when fans of the team fans of yours come to you is there a, a moment that you get recognized more for as a as the broadcaster for the Kings a specific call? I mean, I, I naturally go to the heyday, but is there other moments that that people kind of oh gee man that call you had here is is something I'll remember forever. Well, you hear that once in a while, but it's uh, it's it's probably more just the uh, you know people mimicking the he's got the bucket <laughs> kind of a thing, and I I have no idea how that really evolved, but it's become I guess some kind of a signature or trademark. But it's uh, it's not so much I don't think specific moments uh, that people relate to, other than the fact that you know the Mike Bibby game winner in the mm-hmm. series against the Lakers that was that was huge, obviously. Uh, there, there have been different, different moments along through the years. And you say, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. But unfortunately with my age, I guess some of those things, they, they do blend together and I need someone like yourself or somebody else that kind of jogs your memory and say, Oh, now remember this particular series or this particular game. And, and you say, Oh yeah. And as I, as I say that, Jason, I suddenly flash on that game in Chicago, seven, eight years ago. Oh yeah. Kings are down 35 in the third quarter and win the ball game. Now, those things just don't happen. And the fact that I was there, I saw it, I was able to, to call it to our radio audience. What a remarkable night that was. And those are those are just little things along the way that you just say, yeah, I'll, I will never forget that particular situation or that particular night yeah i mean obviously nights that are enjoyable to watch the team make it you know you can hear it in your voice because the game is more palatable for the fans and it becomes fun how about the nights that whether it's 
Um, well, recently this year, I mean, a significant injury to Rudy Gay. We've seen Chris Webber have a significant injury that that really hurt the franchise. We've seen this franchise in a spot where they legitimately were going to move. And I remember when you had to broadcast uh, mm. a game in, I believe it was New Orleans, and it was Martin Luther King and Day. And it, I mean, it just it was almost like you were so soothing of a voice to hear when everybody is stressed, nervous. And I think you might have been too, but I, I don't know. There was just a sense of calm amongst you. How about how about that specific season, G-Man, trying to finish out that year not knowing the fate of the Kings? Boy, that was – you talk about drama and angst and stress, and I, everybody felt it. And I, I felt so bad for the fans. I felt so bad for the, the people who worked, you know, within the arena as ushers and concessionaires and people who worked in the parking lots and security and one thing or another not knowing – whether they were going to have a job at the end of the season. And it just, it really tore at, at, at our fabric collectively. And to look back over that and realize that it was, Jason, just four years ago at this time, we still did not know whether the Kings were going to be in Sacramento. At least in March of 2013, there was a game plan that was starting to evolve, thanks to the, the great efforts of Kevin Johnson primarily, uh, and, and so many others within the Kings organization. It wasn't just KJ, but in alliance with David Stern, you know, finding a roadmap, finding a way where if we can check off all of these items on this list, maybe the Kings will be able to stay in Sacramento. And to have four years later, not only having the team stay, but now to be in this magnificent new arena, the Golden One Center, it's just like, it's almost pinch me time. It's hmm. just like, how did that happen? And to go from all of that drama to this time, that's a huge step. And and we're forever grateful to all of those who did make it happen, starting with Vivek Ranadive and going right on down the line. Now, of course, the next step is going to be get this team back where it's competitive and battling for playoff berths and, and, you know, one of the recognized strong teams in the Western Conference and the NBA. That's, that's what we're all looking forward to and hoping that it comes sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, and you know, while we have you here on this, I know Sunday's going to be a special day, the 2500th broadcast for you. They do play the Utah Jazz, kind of a feisty defensive-oriented team. Kings have had some interesting games with them so far. Let's do a little preview of that. What do you think about that game? Because right now, G-Man, man, it has been tough for this group of Kings to score. Yeah, and, and that's that's going to be the ongoing concern here. I think uh, with 20, 21 games left uh, in terms of the season is how do you score? How do you score on a consistent basis? You know, can you get the seasoning where these young players feel comfortable, get the new players incorporated and, you know, get a sense of, uh, of, of competitiveness and, and success. It's going to be a struggle. Uh, Utah is really good. I, I love what Quinn Snyder has done with that ball club. They don't have a lot of high-profile players. You know, yes, George Hill, I guess you'd call a high-profile player. Joe Johnson used to be a high-profile player, and now he's comes basically off the bench. Rudy Gobert is, is certainly, you know, making inroads and, and brings a lot to the game from Utah's standpoint. But you mentioned they're feisty, they're tough. Gordon Hayward's an all-star finally after all of these years, and and they're legitimately good. And it will be a very difficult challenge for the Kings on on Sunday afternoon. So a lot of respect to Utah 
But I want to see that Kings team that we saw coming out of the All-Star break, Jason, you know, against Denver, when everybody is just really engaged and it's defensive reaction and deflections and guys diving on the floor, getting balls and really showing a heart and a spirit like we've got something to prove now that DeMarcus Cousins, our All-Star of the past, is no longer with us. That's that's what it's going to take, I think, to be competitive with Utah, to have success in these remaining weeks of the season. Well, let's. I know it's already going to be a special day personally for you. It will be for a lot of us on the radio side too. And they they owe you one, Jim. They owe you a lot. You've you've had to call too many losses. That's not fair. They <laughs> twenty five hundred needs to be a win. I know it'll be a challenge against Utah, but I, I think Sunday is going to be a great day. That's going to be fun out there. Well, it will be fun. Nobody know, owes me anything. I mean, I, I'm the one, I'm the fortunate one. I'm the one who's been blessed with the opportunity. And I, I just, I cherish these years and, and these games. And I, I just, I, as I indicated when we first started our conversation, I, I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity. And I just, I love the fact that it continues to go on and I find enjoyment in the game. I have a passion for this game and in this team and this organization. And, and here's to, here's to more and better success for everybody involved with the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Well said. We look forward to all of that. G man. Thank you as always for your time, certainly for your uh, being an incredible role model and your professionalism and just your dedication to the craft uh, for all the Kings fans out there too, it's just they. It's been a treat for me working with you and uh, listening to you and watching you work. And I know everybody feels the same way. So, G Man, thank you, and we'll see you on Sunday. I look forward to it, Jason, and thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been fun to kind of dig back and go down memory lane a little bit. Well, thanks to the G Man Gary Gerald for joining us here on Locked On Kings. And speaking of taking you down memory lane, here's a few of my favorite of the best of G Man calls. I think he's done in the 30-plus years of Sacramento Kings basketball. Just listen in and enjoy. All right, here we go. Ball game on the line. Ten seconds left. 92-90. Boston up by two. Jim Jackson near side, front court to our right to put it in play. Bounced entry pass goes to Bibby. Weber sets the pick. Bibby drives, throws to Weber. Weber's going to shoot the three, and he scores it! Chris Weber hits the three-pointer. 4.6 seconds to go. Left wing feed to Mills. Mills puts up a shot. Rejected by Nick Anderson. Grabbed by Jason. Kings break. Three on one. Jason, no look feed. Christie, power jam. Ripping from the right wing. Backcourt steal. Jason, no look feed. Weber, power jam again. Oh, two great plays by the Kings. And that brings everybody, including yours truly, right out of their seat. Kings break. Jackson in the middle. Got Devots on the wing to Weber. Behind the back to Devots. Up and under reverse. He's got the bucket. There's a showtime transition play. Playlock frees up. Drives in the lane. Ball knocked away. Stojakovic to Jason. Back to Peja. Breakout to the rack. Power jam with the right hand. Boy, did he throw that down with emphasis. Right in front of them on the end line. Mike Bibby ready to put it in play. 91-90. Lakers by one in game five. Series tied at two. Here's Bibby ready for the inbounds. Pops it into Weber. Back to Bibby. He stops. He fires from 20. He's got the bucket with eight seconds to go. And the Kings take the lead. 92-91. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball. How about Mike Bibby? Cool as can be, Gary Gerald. He has been the man game after game after game but this one is not over the Lakers still have eight seconds to go but Bibby just as cool as the other side of the pillow 
Inbounds to Kobe, left angle, double team. Tyreek knocks it away, Kobe gets it back. He steps in, goes glass, rims it out, no good. Bano has the rebound, Kings look for the lead. It's 95-95, they've come from 20 down. Bano inside to Thompson, up two, hand jam, has me on my feet. This is one of those magical moments. How good can it get? A minute 21 to go. I'm high-fiving all the fans I can grab right behind me as we savor this one. It may be our last time in this position. We don't know. But right now, it's the Kings who have the lead. Rudy, of course, stepped back outside the three-point arc. Now strides forward to the line. He's given the ball. He spins it once, takes a deep breath. There are the three dribbles. He spins it again. Here's the release on the second one. Got it cleanly. It's 114-112. One second to go. Inbounds. Westbrook from 75. No good. And in the final game ever to be played in this amazing building, a 28-year era comes to an end with a Sacramento Kings last second victory over the Oklahoma City Thunder. The final score is 114-112. to Savor, savor the moment. There have been so many of them, so many magical times on the carpet that we have ridden throughout this building over the years. But this one's going to be right up there near the top. Well, what a ride he has taken us on. It's been amazing to be associated with the Sacramento Kings and certainly with the G-Man Gary Gerald, someone I call a friend, an incredible broadcaster, and the great achievement, 2,500th game coming up on Sunday. Great to have him on the podcast. Again, my thanks to G-Man. Uh, thank you for all of you that have listened. Hopefully you enjoyed taking a little trip down memory lane. Some of those highlights I just love. Give me goosebumps. Love hearing that stuff, and hopefully there's many more great moments to come in the near future, maybe as soon as Sunday for the Sacramento Kings. Again, iTunes, that's where you find us each and every day. Monday through Friday, we're here. Let friends know that we are out there, what we're doing here on the Locked On Network and Locked On Kings specifically. Also, Audio Boom and Stitcher, all the different ways you can find us. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the big moment for the G-Man this weekend, the game as well. And then we're back next week for a whole new week of Locked On Kings. And uh, we'll talk to you next week right here on Locked On Kings. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.